This is Paul Schneiderman today on the 77th edition of Sports and Stuff on Rainier Avenue Radio. I have a very special guest today. Joe, can you kindly pronounce your last name for me? I don't want to bungle it. Delamalier. Joe Delamalier, a very famous football player. And Joe, he's also known as Joe D. Joe was inducted in the Canton Pro Football Hall of Fame in 2003. And Joe, I may need a little help on your last name again. I have a bad habit of bungling names. So please, please bear with me. Um, I was actually at the Canton Hall of Fame last year, and I saw Joe's uh, sculpture there. Uh, before I go further with this interview with uh, Joe DeLammer, I want to um, mention some housekeeping things going on. Uh, Lucius Tenebrest is my engineer today. Lucius does a lot of good things at Rainier Avenue Radio. Uh, our station's based in Seattle on the World Wide Web. We have sports shows, political shows, lifestyle shows, music shows, the whole gamut. Uh, we have several other sports shows uh, at our station, hosted by Rick Dupree, Granville Emerson, Renat Laurent, Mazita Marari hosts a show on Seattle Sports Weekly. Uh, Mark Bryant hosts a fitness-based show. Well, Joe, let me get back to you. Uh, Joe Delammer, uh, as I mentioned earlier, was inducted into the Pro Football Delamalier. Delamalier. It rhymes with Cavalier. Okay, I like that. Thank you so much, Joe. That makes it easier. I really appreciate your help. Uh, Joe Delamalier was um, inducted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame in 2003. He, He was an offensive tackle. Had two stints with the Buffalo Bills, one stint with the uh, Cleveland Browns. He also played for a year with the Charlotte Rage of the Arena League. Um, Joe Dees, a member of the 1970s All-Decade team, a prominent blocker uh, for the, the Buffalo Bills, a big part of the offensive line known, known as the Electric Company. O.J. Simpson was the, the prominent running back that he uh, back that he uh, blocked for heavily. A six-time Pro Bowler, member of the Michigan Hall of Fame. Uh, he's also been involved in, in all sorts of charitable and religious causes, uh, all American Michigan State. Well, Joe, we're going to have a good conversation today about your career. Uh, definitely hit on some contemporary issues. And I really appreciate you coming on Sports and Stuff on Rainier Avenue Radio. Thank you. I'm glad to talk about some things, whatever Absolutely. you want to talk about. Oh, I appreciate it. Well, thanks for doing this. <laughs> and uh, I played Joe- guard, not tackle. I was a guard. <laughs> guard, guard, gotcha, gotcha. Much smarter than tackle. There you go. There you go. Um, Joe, you grew up in a big family in Michigan. Uh, football's obviously been a big part of your life. Tell us a little bit how you got the football bug. Well, I'm the ninth of ten kids, and my uh, two older brothers. That we have, I have four older brothers and five sisters. But my two older brothers played football, and I was old enough to watch them and go play with them. And uh, the, you know, they helped me, and I always wanted to be around them. We played sports. We just didn't play football. Any sport that happened, we played. I mean, as soon as football was over, we all played basketball. We all played baseball. We ran track. And um, basically what happened was all the boys were playing sports, and my mother said that she actually encouraged us to because we only had a bath. We didn't have a shower. We had 10 kids, and my mother said, you guys got to start taking showers over at the school because you stink. So uh-huh. that's how everybody got involved in sports. It was kind of uh a necessity out of need because um, we we didn't have a shower in our house we had a t- just a sh- uh, tub a bathtub that was it yeah i got the sports bug you done, you done uh you had a great career football sort of a big part of your life uh and in your faith but a big part of your life your catholic faith hasn't it yeah i i went to catholic school obviously when anytime you tell somebody you get uh, 10 children in your family or you're one of 10 they say what are you catholic and I married my wife. She's the oldest of eight. And we went to Catholic grade in high school together. And then we were married at Michigan State. So 
we're all we're Catholic. I, I go to mass every day. Um, I went today, in fact. Got a lot big, to pray for all the time. Big, big family. Big family. Yeah, a lot of, a lot big of people. Family. We have four children, and we adopted two Korean boys, and we raised three other boys. Two, two of them were African American, so we've had the United Nations. They're all gone now, and we have now we have twelve grandkids. So. Wow, very diverse, very diverse. Yeah. Family. Yeah. Joe, I, you know, I'm I'm struggling a little bit pronouncing your last name, and I've I've been aware. Well, Just say Joe D. It's Joe D. I've been familiar with yeah. your career for for many years. Um, why don't you share with us the origins of the ethnic origins of your last name? It's a unique last name you have. It's Belgium. My father's family's from uh, Belgium, and then they came over, and they're like first generation. That sort of means they actually, if you look at the Lamelier, people speak French because French is Flemish, the same type of language. It means one of the best. So somebody back in the day was one of the best of something. So who knows? So when I played in Buffalo, which is near Canada, everybody would say, hey, your name means one of the best. So I said, oh, great. That's nice to know. But I, I'm, I, my dad was uh, Belgian. My mother is German. And, uh, you know, we, we lived in a, uh, we lived in, say, we were born in Detroit, but we lived in a city called Centerline, and it was uh, one mile by one mile surrounded by Detroit, basically, and then it was called Centerline because that's where they made the the center lines for the roads that we all drive on way back when in the day. Didn't and, know that. Didn't know that. Yeah. Well, you have, you have a Hall Joe, you have a Hall of Fame last name, literally and figuratively. How's that? Now, how about this? I'm the biggest name in the Hall of Fame. Not the biggest, but the longest. <laughs> it's so a little trivial pursuit ben, fact ben, there. Yeah. Ben Rothensberger, somebody will be the Longest name, but right now I'm the longest name in the NFL. Well, I got some more Hall of Fame questions for you. I love that little that little factoid yeah. there, Joe. You you played at Michigan State University, had a great career there, and you definitely played in a different era. Uh, why don't you share with me a little couple highlights of your Michigan State days? And uh, if you got a minute, give me some thoughts on where you are in this whole college pay debate. Okay, uh, Michigan State was, you know, it's 70 miles from Detroit, so it's pretty easy school. Uh, to go to, and Duffy Doherty was a Catholic uh, coach, but he was coaching at Michigan State, and believe it or not, that played a huge factor in me going to Michigan State, because my mom and dad wanted me to go to, uh, I wanted to go to Notre Dame, but Parsegian was uh, uh, Protestant, so my dad said, you know, no, you go to Michigan State, because Duffy's Catholic, I go, yeah, right, what do you, I don't know what I was thinking about, so that that's how I actually went, it was actually about my third choice, I wanted to go to Michigan, but Bo, I was Bo's first recruit, Bo Schembechler. My dad said he couldn't pronounce Schembechler. Like, you're having a problem with my name? Right, so I right. So I went to Michigan State because Duffy's Catholic. And that that's, it was the only reason, actually. Yeah, something. And, and where, where, yeah. where are you in this whole – give me a minute or so, if you got, where are you in this whole college pay debate these days, Joe? Uh, I think they should be paid something. I don't see why coaches get paid millions of dollars. I mean, that. God bless them. They're all, you know, that's, you know, they're, they're in charge of a university, make a lot of money for them. But the kids are the, the players are the people who make the money for them. And I, and I think all, all college students should be, if you're, uh, I have three girls and my son married a girl who was, uh, one of my sons married a girl who played at South Carolina. Her other sister played at Duke and the other one played, uh, at North Carolina state in, uh, soccer, but they should have some sort of stipend for the kids who play because, it's basically a full-time job. 
you think you're going to go, oh, my kid's getting a scholarship. They're going to Michigan State. Well, you work 35, 40 hours a week. And I don't want to say work, you play because you're practicing. But you have time spent away from the books and away from everything else. And like when we were at college, we, we had no money. I mean, you, you, most kids who play at school, college, they don't have money in the first place. You don't find a lot of really wealthy kids playing college sports unless it's, you know, not especially football. So these kids, come, a lot of them come from, you know, not wealthy people where, where it's a sacrifice. Their parents are giving them money every week because they can't work. They, I think it would be a good idea to pay the players just because you're basically taking up 40 hours or 35 to 40 hours a week practicing. So somebody should compensate those people because they can't work. If, if I weren't – if I weren't playing at Michigan State and I went to Michigan State, I would have had to have a part-time job so right. I could go there. And that's basically what it is. And you come, I coached at Duke and I recruited a lot of kids. Those kids weren't wealthy, and it was a sacrifice uh, for their parents to, you know, have to buy them stuff to send them to Duke, even if they're on a scholarship. So if the sports are making that much money, they can afford to give kids something. I'm not saying make them rich. I'm saying, you know, uh, three or $400 a month so they can go out and uh, be with the rest of the college students. Yeah, you... there, there's a one problem, though, is, you know, colleges are going to say, hey, we'll give you more than this school. That's the problem. How do you how do you police that? I don't know. But I do think athletes should get something. And another thing I think athletes should, they should have trade schools at colleges. A lot of kids aren't. Um, they they have no interest in studies, but guess what? They got other gifts. I have a son who struggled through school, uh, an adopted son, a Korean son, who could barely, he had a difficult time reading the whole time. I think he, his SAT was probably like 630 or 640, something like that. I don't even know what it was. But he went to Grumman, the apprentice school, and became, uh, they teach people how to be an apprentice. You, you build ships. And, uh, He's at Grumman. He's now he's 36 years old, and he's a superintendent, or not a superintendent, uh, a supervisor. Great. The guy's making making great money. And just because you can't do things academically doesn't mean you're not worthy of something. And I got another, my, my other Korean son, he went to school for a while. He didn't like it. Uh, moved in with my oldest daughter and her husband. They're in real estate. He's done fantastic. He's he's a big he's a big shot for a real estate guy. He's 35 years old. He didn't graduate from college, but he went to he learned the real estate business. Just because I think college is overrated, because I think it's good to have for special things, but I don't think you, everybody is made for college, or you have to go to college for. We're we're losing a lot of really good people who aren't going into trades and sales and things like that. I mean, what goods a political science degree do you i mean think about it what what what, what did they teach you that was so good unless you're doing political science I, I don't i never could understand that i graduated in criminal justice so my college roommate graduated in criminal justice and became the director of the secret service under the clintons so when we were football players my other roommate came to michigan state with uh he literally had a 630 SAT, was put in an orphanage when he was like 11 years old, got out, some foster people got him. 
he came to Michigan State. He ended up, he's a PhD now, even for special education. So you can't, you know, I think the general public thinks that, oh, these athletes want money. Well, that's what they want now because how uh, society has changed. But we need to wise up and change things in our society with things like that. I, I, I'm familiar with sports, and I think I just cannot believe that coaches make $12, 13000000 million to coach, and the kids who play get nothing other than you say you get an education. How many actually graduate, too? That, that'd be a good statistic. How many kids graduate from college? They play four years of football, make fill the stands, and then they don't get that. And maybe you should give them a degree, but it's hard to earn. If you're not qualified, you know, you're not, you're not an academic. A lot of kids aren't academic. I was the only one to go to college in my family. In the only one, ninth of 10 kids. So you bring up you know, a lot brothers, of excellent points, yeah. Joe. All and one brothers, thing you brought up. They're all success. They're all mechanics, uh, uh, landscape people work for G one work for GM. One had his own landscape company. Every, everybody's done pretty good. You bring up some excellent points. And one point you brought up that's made me think more is, is why shouldn't a lot of these kids get trade school credits while playing college sports? That, that's a really good point. This is uh, Paul Steinman, host of Sports and Stuff on Rainier Avenue Radio with Pro Football Hall of Fame member Joe DeLamler. DeLamler. Thank you, Joe. Yeah. Thanks for all your help. I'm embarrassed. Yeah, you can I mispronounce it. That's fine. No, I don't want to mispronounce it. Yeah, I have, feel, that doesn't hurt my feelings. I feel if you a little, ask me how they spell it, I go. J-O-E. Okay. You're sweet. Easy. Appreciate it. And I feel a little less guilty that your father had, had problems pronouncing Bo Schlenblecker's last name, yeah, which I probably just pronounced. So, yeah. But probably. you brought some really good points, and I, I think your you know, college isn't, you know, normal college academic studies maybe aren't the course for every every person. All right. Well, I got it. Our coach at Michigan State, was he's the one who put that idea in our heads way back when because he'd get upset with uh, administration because he said, you know, I think it's wrong. We're missing a lot of talent out there that doesn't come to and play football, but they're also not giving these kids a chance because they could. If you came to the university, wouldn't you like to know how to fix your TV or, you know, back in the day or fix your cars or, you know, do anything? There's a lot of trades that you can learn, and would have helped the university. But no doubt about ahead. it. No doubt about okay. it. No, I like you. We brought some excellent points. Um, you played for that you know, some of those great Buffalo Bills teams, 1970s, and you were uh, part of that electric company offensive line, you regard. And uh, I know you have a, a longtime tie to O.J. Simpson. I know you probably get a lot of questions about O.J. Simpson, but I want to ask you something. Um, yeah. You brought up something very fascinating, Joe, and you're, you're going through some CTE symptoms yourself, I've read. Yeah. And you brought up something that I, I never thought of re, you know, when, I, when I listened to one of your interviews recently. You suggested O.J. Simpson may have some symptoms of CTE. Let me, let me ask you, Joe, do you think if O.J. were tested and if it were confirmed he has some CTE symptoms, that his legacy could be looked at maybe a little bit more gently by some people? No, I, I don't know how it would be looked at, but I think if you give people scans – uh, PET scans and for your brain. I'd say most people played in our day of football have that. So they have some type of towel in their brain. Now, if you have CTE, they, they kind of hype that up too. Like I, I was diagnosed with CTE with a stage three. My wife asked the doctor Romalo what's stage four and he says, that's all the autopsies. That was eight years ago. I'm talking, I'm totally fine. And I, I mean, you know, I, there's things that I'm going to be 70 years old. There's things you forget. But when you played football, 
the average we practiced uh, six weeks before the season. We hit every day, twice a day, sometimes three times a day. They've changed the game today. It's totally different, which I'm glad they did, because when we played, guys hit their head all, all the time. And I, somebody said to me, "You think OJ could have CT?" I said, "I think anybody who played in that day could have it." The closer you got to the ball, Dr. Amalo said, who wrote the, he, he, he's the one who came out with concussions. He said, right. I asked him, I said, Dr. Amalo, who, who has CT? He said, the closer to the ball you play, the more likely you are to have it. I said, what do you mean by that? He said, the centers, the two guards, two defensive tackles, and the middle linebackers. And if you look at who died, look at the players who died. Mike Webster, Mike Mahler, who I played with, Forrest Blue. Um, I, I can name 10 centers that have passed away. Well, guess what? Every time they snap the ball, they slap them in the head. There's no right. head slap. No head slaps are allowed anymore. I played on a wedge for 13 years. That was the most dangerous play in football. They they removed that from the game, which is good. A wedge was where the four guys deep, and then they kick the ball off, and these maniacs come down. They use, we used to call them wedge breakers, come down and fly into the wedge. Well, they don't do that anymore. That's good. They made the game a lot better. It's a lot safer. But guys who played in our era, we, we have injuries. And that's why I always fought for the retired guys because we're the guys who made all the sacrifices for these guys to make all this big money because we thought if people got better pensions, and we thought when we were older, if the leagues make more money, you're naturally going to get more pension, right? Well, we finally got a little bit more, but it's still not enough for what we – what the league is making in proportion. Like we, we, we have the worst pensions in all of sports, way worse than baseball, basketball, and hockey. But it's better. It got better this last time. But we, they settled it right before the virus came out, thank God. And uh, John Riggins and his wife and Jim Brown and Dick Buckus, all those guys stood up and said, hey, we need to get, we need to help these guys. We had guys who are, you know, they're really destitute. We played in the NFL for 10, 12, 13 years. Terrible. And my pension before this pension increase, I was making $2,900, $29,000 a year total. And that's before taxes and no health care. That's for 13 years in that league. And if I played baseball, I'd be making 200000 a year. Right. right. So, I mean, thank God they gave us a little bit. They gave us a little bit of dignity but nothing we're compared with these current, current players are making. And when I played to, and um, when I signed my contract, I signed a five-year contract, 22, 24, 26, 28, 30. Mm-hmm. And a $30,000 $30, bonus. That was 1973. Teachers were making about $10,000. I, I was making 22 as a first-round pick. But the the difference is if, you, if they didn't want you after one game, they say, the guy, the general manager told me, if you're now good after one game, that's all you get, $1,200. We don't owe you a penny on your contract. The, pen, the contracts are non-guaranteed. So, so you, nobody knows that because you can't get it out because the media owns a, owns the, the voice of America. How, how can we get that felt? We tried for years. We were lucky we got Lisa Marie Riggins. And you should look at look this up. It's called... Um, Fair, F-A-I-R, you want to have a great conversation? Call Fair and ask Lisa Marie to, uh, that's John Riggins' wife. She's the one who went to battle with five other wives. My wife was one of them. 
and we got pensions increased for these guys. And we actually brought in the three-year guys. We had three years in the league. You used to have, to have five years in the league when I played. You had to play five years, three games in your fifth year to be eligible for a pension. And guess what? You know what the average career was back then? Four, four and years. A half. Four and a half. Four and right. a half, yeah. Then guess what? We dropped it to four. Guess what? It dropped to three and a half. Right. Yeah, that, because it was out of reach with everybody. Right. I'm glad we got it. I'm glad I played football because it enabled me to go to college. It enabled me to adopt a couple kids. Actually, they, no way these kids would be there, be in this country. And they're productive citizens. I mean, these kids are sharp as tacks. Because you know why? We had discipline for them. My wife made them get up, make the bed, clean the house, you know, work, work around the house. There were rules. You can't tell people nowadays, oh, John, you know, everybody gets a trophy. Jeez, when I was a player, if, when I was a kid, if you didn't win first place, you didn't get a trophy. Everybody gives everybody a trophy. Oh, it's so nice Johnny played on a team. Did he ever play? No. How do you get a trophy? People don't want to know that you have to earn things. And now this is the state of our country, which is still the greatest country on the earth. But we're, we're, we dummy education down. My, I got a couple daughters who are in school systems. You know, I, I went to Catholic school. No, my mother always said, you better beat that phone call hall home if you got in trouble. So, you know, we knew right from the get who's in charge. The teachers are in charge. And there was, well, I have bad teachers. Well, there's bad every time. There's been about this whole issue here. There's bad policemen. There's bad uh, everything. But there are mostly 99% or 90%, I don't know, percent. most people are good. For sure, for sure. Joe, we got less than five minutes left. You, you know, you gave a great answer. I was actually had a couple of questions for you about labor okay. issues, but you, you added a lot in there about some okay. of the work you've done on it, the NFL pension uh, issues. Yeah, so call Lisa Marie Riggins. Get, get a whole theory, go online and get it. Fair, F-A-I-R. Fair, I'll uh, take a look at it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, John yeah, Riggins' that's, wife that's, involved in it. Yeah, that's, uh, that's a conversation you should have with everybody. They, they'd understand football a lot better. Yeah, you know, no, I'd like to. Appreciate that resource. I think my listeners will appreciate yeah. it as well. Joe, you were um, you got that call to be a member of the NFL Hall of Fame class back in 2003. Uh, I got two Hall of Fame questions for you, Joe. What was your reaction yeah, when you got that call? And my second Hall of Fame question for you is, uh, can you mention one or two NFL people that are not in the Hall of Fame that you think should yeah, be in? Absolutely. Uh, the call was, like, unbelievable because I waited 13 years. I didn't know – I didn't even know the process of the NFL I didn't, or how to get in the Hall of Fame. But anyhow, I got in after 13 years of being eligible. I didn't even know, I paid no attention to it because I never thought I'd get in the Hall of Fame. So when I got in the Hall of Fame, I was like blown away. So like, holy cow. And then I was more excited for my family and my wife's family than myself, honestly, and my children. Because I, I don't want, when I die, I don't want my kids to say, boy, what a great football player. I want them to say, man, that guy had a great sense of humor. He was a good dad. Sure. He had a lot of fun. And then uh, if you want to know some Hall of Famer, there's so many guys that should be in. George Koontz, I'll give a couple offensive linemen, George Koontz and uh, Joe Jacoby. Uh, Clay Matthews, who is a USC guy, but Clay Matthews is a second leading tackler of all time. He's not in the Hall of Fame. He played 19 years. Kenny State, or Kenny uh, Anderson was, at, most of his the time, was the all-time leading completion guy. Played with the Bengals. He's not in. 
and I, I could go on and on. There's so many guys that they, they could have a little hall of fame. They could have 20 more guys added added into the senior list. I mean, Bob Brown, who lives out there in Washington, I think he lives in Seattle. He went in as a senior. Bob Brown was the greatest offensive lineman to ever play, in my opinion. It took him 20 years to get in. He played for the Philadelphia Eagles, but he lives in Seattle. His son's a lawyer out there. He's a little bit older than me. Brought some and great names. Yeah, and the, I mean, it's amazing. What's more amazing to me is how great the men are who are in there. I mean, these guys are good guys. They're they're like top of the notch. Yeah, I think if you make the Hall of Fame, especially our era, you, you, you really had to put your nose to the grindstone because we all work two jobs. Everybody worked two jobs. Nobody, I don't know, one player who played in the 70s and uh, early 80s who wasn't working in the offseason. I was an Erie County Sheriff's uh, deputy during the offseason. And at, when I got off work, I'd go work out at the stadium. You know, there were no team things. There was no uh, training table at the facilities like there are now. We, our, My wife used to make lunch for all the offensive linemen. And then the, the wives would take turns. Yeah. Now you go there, they have their own shelves. You can get right. your haircut at the stadium and they'll wash your car and take your clothes to the cleaners. Who built this league? <laughs> the guys who played before them and they don't get basically we got a little bit of a bump. Good. But they have no his no idea of the history of the game. None. I, I hear that from a lot of athletes, Joe, of your era. They they feel that some of the younger players don't don't recognize history. Joe, we got less than a minute left. Uh, I got so many more questions I would have liked to ask you. Maybe we yeah. can have a chat again sometime. What does the future yeah. hold uh, for you, Joe? Well, my son and I we train people, and my son is really good. It's uh, I got I'll give you this website so your people who are listening to this can maybe look online and see it. It's hof solutions dot com. And my son's, he's an incredible, he, he was a fireman. He graduated from Duke. He, I said, Todd, he graduated three and a half years ago. That's pretty amazing. And he was captain of the team. So that's pretty amazing. He goes, Dad, don't worry. I'm never going to wear a tie. <laughs> and he became a firefighter and hurt his shoulder playing football. So he couldn't put on an air pack anymore. So we started our own business where he trains people. And we're doing pretty good with it because he's good at what he does. His name is Todd. A lot, lot smarter, a lot better looking than me. Well, you're selling yourself short, Joe. Joe, I really appreciate you doing this discussion. These, these 27 interviews just go so fast. Learned a lot from you today, and I, I really appreciate you stopping by on sports and stuff on Rainier Avenue Radio World. Okay, thank you for having me. You take care. Bye bye. Goodbye.